I'm Kendra Winchester here with Autumn Previtt, and this is the Reading Women Podcast, where we are reclaiming half the bookshelf by talking about books written by or about women. And this is episode 25, where we are talking about fictional universes. Hello, Kendra. Hello, Autumn. I'm very excited. Yeah, this is a really fun episode. Yes, we are going to be talking about all things with fictional universes in them. And I believe you first thought of this one. I did. I did. And I don't really remember why or how. I think I... I, I really don't remember. I just remembered I was like, hey, what if we did one on fictional universes? And yeah, so here we are. I'm here for that. And I think it's really cool because we have a lot more leeway in the books that we include because we can just interpret it how we will. Well, and I think that's part of what we were talking about was we wanted to try to have broader topics to kind of grandfather in or grandmother in, I guess, you know, a wider selection of books. Um, and to kind of be able to pull more from our TBR stack. So, yeah, I think we'll see. It's our first one. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. And if you like this, then please definitely let us know. We're always looking for feedback. And we really love it to talk to you guys. So whenever you guys reach out, it really makes our day. We're really nice. And we like to talk to you. So what are you waiting for? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Call now. <laughs> oh, wait. No, I think this will be fun. So, like, fictional universes is what it sounds like. It's any book that's set in a world that is not our present reality. So whether that's a sci-fi book or a fantasy book or just like a book with a little bit of magic in it or I don't know. Like it's just kind of – it's broad. (laughs) Yeah, I actually looked for a book where the person had like this little fictional universe in their own mind. But I couldn't find one fast enough. And with enough time to read it and everything before it came out. So if you know of one of those books like that, please let me know. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, so it'll be a lot of fun. But before we get into our picks, we are going to talk about the news first. Kendra, you want to yes. break the news this time? Yes. So uh, we recorded before the Bailey's Prize was announced. And so we are now recording in the Bailey's Prize was just announced last week. And the winner is The Power by Naomi Alderman. Woo! Yes, I'm so excited. If you haven't, in the U.S., it hasn't come out in the U.S., so you probably haven't read it unless you've bought it from Book Depository, which is possible. Uh, But it is about how these young women have gained this power to use electricity and, like, shock men. So now they become the physically dominant sex, and then it changes the course of history, and the world becomes, I believe, like, a matriarchy because it's like a framed tale um, about this dude writing about the history of the world and we don't know like how reliable the narrator is or his research or whatever so anyway so much going on with that book and it sounds incredibly interesting and i cannot wait to get my hands on it but isn't there some controversy about it yeah there was actually some discussions that started with the power um because it was very timely but a lot of people thought that, I mean, the pers- it's, it is a matter of personal taste here, you know, so take it with a grain of salt. But they felt that other books might have been better written, but this was more timely. And so then it started the discussion of, you know, should book prizes choose books that are more timely or that are more well written? But I think it's interesting because the Bailey's Prize has never shied away really from including books with more genre elements in them. And this definitely has some sort of sci-fi element into it, which I think is good because a lot of books are kind of snob. A lot of book prizes are kind of snobby. So uh, up until this point, uh, this was originally called the Orange Prize. And now it's called the it was called the Bailey's Prize, the Bailey's Women's Prize for Fiction. That is very hard to say. 
now they have received a huge endowment, and apparently that has set them up. So they're now just going to be called the Women's Prize for Fiction, and they're going to have smaller sponsors. And Bailey's is going to be one of those sponsors, but now it's just the Women's Prize for Fiction. So I don't know what we're going to call it now. Yeah, the acronym isn't that catchy. And I can barely say Women's Prize for Fiction. It is a mouthful. (laughs) But I am glad that they are uniting the prize under one banner, because... It was a little bit confusing before. Yeah, first it was the Orange Prize and the Baileys. And... It is interesting that I'm, I want to know who gave them all this money, but I think it was they didn't well, say who it was. So. Anonymous donor, whoever you are. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, they always have great selections, and I think their selections are very accessible to the average reader, which is very good, which is one of the reasons why I really like this prize. Yeah. So that's exciting. So it's not coming out until the fall here. But as we mentioned, you can get it off of Book Depository, the UK edition. So yeah, congratulations again to Naomi Alderman for winning the Bailey's Prize with the power. Much kudos. And I think, Kendra, you have the first pick this week. Yes, I do. So I'm going to be talking about A Close in Common Orbit by Becky Chambers. But also, that's the second book, actually, in the series. And the first one is A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. And both of those are out in the U.S. from Harper Voyager. I mentioned both of these because originally I was going to focus on A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. But I actually like the second book better. It happens. You know, but that's okay. Now you have two, two, two books for the price of one. So this universe that both of the books are set in is in the far future. It's a, it's a space opera, basically. And you have a bunch of species who are in this like galactic coalition. And uh, humans are actually a recent addition. So they're considered kind of like a lower, more primitive species. It's full of different types of species. People, there's like a lizard species. There's one made of tentacles and they have to ride around on carts because they're so slow. Uh, There's a species that communicates with just the colors on their face and they don't actually have a sense of hearing. There's one which looks like it's described as a giant furry bear, I think with six arms and legs and or maybe it's eight And then it starts out as a female, like they're all born as female, and then halfway through their life, they become male. Interesting, Right? The world building is great, and the characters are great. And in the first book, we follow Rosemary, who's joined the crew of the Wayfarer, which is a multi-species ship. Think sort of like Star Trek, traveling out in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of different people on it. And then you head out that way, and they're going to a small angry planet to create a wormhole back to the main like coalition of planets. And it's really episodic, which is one of the things I struggled with. And then like there's little morality lessons at the end of each episode. But the characters are wonderful, and I thought it was like a really warm and fuzzy read because I read a lot of intense books for a tune. <laughs> yes. it was it was really nice to read, but I really struggled with the structure and some of like the really like I felt like the author was using her characters as vehicles for lessons and stuff. But didn't you tell me that this book was first self published and crowdfunded? Yeah. Yeah. Originally A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet was crowdfunded and like self-published and then a publisher picked it up and then it was nominated for the Baileys. So, which is really cool. Right. Right. It goes to the whole thing. They're not, they don't shy away from more quote unquote genre fiction. So it was very successful and a lot of people really love it. But I went ahead and read the second book to see if that like rounded out the viewpoint because I'd read it was incredibly different than the first book. 
which is so true. So instead of doing like a travel narrative, it stays on one planet and two minor characters from the first book um, have a much bigger role and we alternate between their perspectives. I, I can't really talk too much about the plot of the second book because a huge thing that happens at the end of the first book is how one of the characters like comes onto the scene and I don't want to spoil that, but it's really good. I felt it was so much more cohesive and uh, her writing skill had matured and just come together a lot better. I felt it was just better, which is great because like often sophomore books really struggle. It is good to um, see progress. And she's very talented. Yeah, so this one sounds really exciting. I've I've heard of this one. It's been on my radar, mostly because science fiction books aren't often written by women. That's very true. Yeah, so it's kind of exciting to see this, but I didn't have room to read it this month. Yeah. It, such is my plight. We had, we had a lot that we wanted to read this month. and I had a lot to read. I am not a science fiction person. I am really easily intimidated by all the hardcore science-y stuff, and I, I'll happily choose fantasy instead. But this one was more about the characters, and it's written in such an engaging and wonderful way that it's very accessible to those who aren't familiar with science fiction or space operas or anything like that. So just you can just jump in and have a great time. Cool. So that is A Closing Common Orbit by Becky Chambers. My first pick is The Queen of the Tearling by Erica Johansson, and it is published by Harper. And it is the story of Kelsey Raleigh, and she is the queen apparent to the crown of Tierling. It's a country. I guess it's a country? Yeah. The kingdom of Tierling. And so the Tierling are a group of expats who started this country with very utopian sort of ideals. And then over time, the society kind of broke down and really kind of decomposed. And it was run by her mother. She was so caught up with like pretty and expensive things that the country fell into disrepair. So when Kelsey's mother dies, her uncle, who is the regent, takes control of the kingdom. And he makes a deal with the Red Queen to send a certain allotment of tearling people to the Red Queen as payment for her not to invade them. And so when Kelsey turns 18, this group of men called the Queen's Guard come to take her to the palace so that way she can assume the throne. And that's really when the story gets started. That's all like in the first two chapters. We kind of learn about Kelsey. One of the first things we learn about her is that she's not very pretty. And so because her mom was really beautiful, like they kind of weirdly, even though like they didn't respect her mother because she was stupid, they don't really respect Kelsey either because she doesn't look like a queen. Um, first of all, she's 18. Second of all, she's kind of rough. Like, you know, she's not elegant or anything like that. She, she's lived her life in seclusion and outdoors, so she really has to kind of like get her queen's guard to respect her. I remember when this, this one came out, it was a huge, like, resounding success and people were gushing about it and emma watson actually got the rights to play kelsey oh in a version of this one that's exciting it was exciting i hope i hope it does work because it's really amazing like it's a cool little universe that she's created yeah like it's a really interesting universe because it almost feels kind of victorian almost but there's definitely magic like kelsey has this sapphire that she wears that she's always worn and it is one of the indicators that she's the 
heir to the throne of the Tearling. And it, she discovers like once she kind of starts on this quest that it has magical powers. And so part of what she's figuring out is like how to control that and what to do with it. So it's, yeah, I don't really know what else to say. <laughs> no, uh, I, I thought it was really interesting how she is discussed as like a larger woman, like a very solidly built woman. And it was a big deal that her mom was a beauty, but Kelsey is not. Kelsey is described as plainer, but she's extremely intelligent and feels for the people. And it's like everyone makes a big deal about how disappointed in her looks they are. And she's actually more like she has a lot of strength to her. And I would say a lot more masculine in that she rules the country because it is more like a medieval time. But see, that's the strange thing, too, is like even though she does have more, quote unquote, traditional masculine traits, they still the men in the Queen's Guard don't want to teach her how to sword fight. And they make fun of her for they're like oh well we brought you a small horse because we didn't even know if you could ride you know so they kind of like poke fun at her the entire time so it's this really interesting tension because sure she she does have more masculine traits and yet that still doesn't make them treat her any differently than they would if she was like a beauty queen yeah there's a lot of commentary on on gender and women in leadership in this book and i found that just my probably that's probably my favorite part. I found it so fascinating. And I think too the the really cool part to me was that kind of the way she earns the respect. So the men in the Queen's Guard are those who are like closest to her and they're charged with protecting her life and making sure that she lives quite literally. And the way she kind of earns the respect is not through manhandling as it were but she kind of shows an interest in them and like cares about them and like because she treats them like they're humans and because she you know is brave and follows through on what she says like because she has character basically that's how they come to respect her so i thought that was really cool too yeah Definitely. She has like, she has a balance. It reminds me of like Virginia Woolf talking about we need both masculine and feminine qualities in in leadership and things. And she definitely has both. She has the strength of her leadership, but she also cares for people as human beings. So this is part of a trilogy as well. And so this is the first book. So it kind of ends on a cliffhanger and I'm not going to give away any of the plot because this is, (laughs) it's kind of good to just experience it. So that is The Queen of the Tearling by Erica Johansson, and it is out by Harper. And that comes to my next pick, which is my favorite, 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 favorite. Cue the Angel Choir. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And that is The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison, and that is out from Orbit, which is the vision of Hachette. And oh my stars. I just can't even, okay? This won the Hugo Award, just the beautiful world that N.K. Jemison has created. And we experience this world through the three viewpoint characters, and that is uh, Essun, who is actually, uh, you're told this from the second person, which is interesting. So Essun uh, comes home one day, and her husband has killed her three-year-old boy, because he's discovered that he is an origin. And origins in this world are sort of like magicians who can move earth and different things like that. So she obviously is very upset. He's also run off with her daughter, who is around eight. And so she is determined to follow him and get her revenge. But as soon as like she comes in and this giant rift in the entire continent goes through and the fifth season starts, which is like sort of like the end of the world... It happens every one to 200 years, and the entire culture 
is based around this. And so we also follow Cyanite, who is an origin, but she is controlled by the fulcrum. And the fulcrum controls all of the origins, and in fact, if they find a small child, they will take that child from its family and bring it to the fulcrum. Now, townspeople often want to kill origins, because, you know, think of like burning witches kind of deal, it's, it's very similar. So we also follow the third perspective, which is Dumaya, who is a little girl who's taken from her family. It's so good. Like, I was texting Autumn quarter of the way through, like, gushing. And she's like, okay, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden she starts it, and she's like, oh, my goodness, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. But I also think I texted you about halfway through was like, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand. <laughs> and Kendra was like, just keep reading. Just, just shut up and keep reading it. And I'm like basically <laughs> i'm like okay i will because the amazing thing about this book and why i love it is because while it's a fantasy book like it's a high epic fantasy book set in an entirely uh different universe you also get great plotting and actual good writing and a lot of fantasy books struggle in the writing area and the plotting area but no no N.K. Jemison has so many twists for you, and there's so many things that are revealed in this book. And she builds the world at an adequate place without too many of those weird teachery moments that you often get in fantasy books. And the last book in this trilogy comes out in August, and I've read the second one already, and I'm dying. Like, I need the third one now because we follow as soon as she goes through, like, aftershocks of the fifth season and how it splits open and like the end of the world is happening so there's like these like otter creatures that are supposed to be cute and cuddly during normal times but when the fifth season starts they start eating human beings but i will say there are trigger warnings for violence against children and sexual violence against women um, and just general violence because um, it is the end of the world oh we forgot to mention the same is true of the queen of the tearling it's pretty violent. So just, you know, just prepare yourself. Um, but it is very, very good. It's one of my favorite fantasy books I have read in recent memory. It's quite good. And, oh my and goodness, like a good enabler, so. Kendra has already hooked me up with the second one. <laughs> so I finished this one today and hopefully I can start the next one tomorrow. <laughs> yes, of course. I already like was like, of course, I have to own them. A, a special edition book of the fifth season came out and it's like, I want to say close to $100, but it was uberly expensive. I don't know, like, what all came with that, but it was, like, supposed to be signed or something or it had, like, a plate. I don't know. Anyway, people are very serious about this book, and for good reason. It's quite good. Yeah, it was also nominated for The Nebula and another word I can't remember. So everyone loves N.K. Jemison. So that is the fifth season. We will be talking about it next episode, which you already knew. Basically. Pretty much. Basically. So hopefully... I will be able to quit gushing at that point. Doubtful. Okay. I was I was hopeful. Doubtful. I was hopeful. Nice try. <laughs> nice try. So in lieu of our usual affiliate link spot this month, we are going to talk about our Patreon. If you were following us last month for the Reading Women Month, you know that it was our birthday. Woohoo! Yay! So we set up a Patreon because we have... Thankfully, you dear listeners have been so supportive, and so we wanted a way to kind of get some more feedback from you and kind of to have a core group of people that we could get feedback from and get ideas from and kind of share some behind-the-scenes stuff with. So we have set up a Patreon with several different levels that 
you can contribute to and it is just Kendra and I that run this show and <laughs> just us and every single penny that we will get from the Patreon will go directly back into the show. It'll go into hosting, uh, both website and hosting for the podcast. And we've already been so overwhelmed by the outpouring of love and support that we have received. Um, we've already almost met our first goal by the time this is launched. Maybe we will have met that goal. So we are just so very grateful for your support. And, you know, it's amazing how people support the things they love. And we're so incredibly grateful for that. And if like every one of our listeners gave a dollar, we would be past all the goals that we have ever set, you know, for all the different levels. So every dollar counts. You can join our Patreon for a dollar and I we do Fur Baby Fridays. You get special photos of our fur children, but also I just announced all of the themes for the quarter. So every quarter you get the themes ahead of time. We do polls for any future swag, like what would you prefer? Like, would you prefer pins or mugs or whatever? So you actually get to help us decide what we want to do with reading women and different things like that. And we love your feedback and we hope that helps you feel more involved and be more involved. Yeah. So So. again, thank you you to everyone who has supported us and shared and just everything you that you've done and thank you for everyone who posted during the reading women month we're extremely grateful for that and if you would please go check out the page just see what it's like and see if anything is interesting to you um and if you feel so compelled if you would like to contribute that would really help us um just to kind of keep things going here so be sure to check out our patreon we will have a link in our show notes so i think that means it's your pick and i'm i haven't read this one so i'm excited to hear about it yeah okay so this is a really interesting (laughs) book even for me my next pick is Mikkel and Margarita, and it is by Julie Himes, and it is published by Europa. And we love Europa so much, and they love us, and they were like, hey, do you want to try this book? And I was like, sure, why not? It's Europa. And why not? <laughs> it's Europa. We love Europa. And so this is a fictional telling of the life of Mikhail Bulgakov, who is the author of the novel Master and Margarita. Master and Margarita is a very famous Russian novel. I think it just had its 50th birthday. Yeah, it has like a cat on the cover or something? Yes, the 50th anniversary has a cat on the cover. And I haven't read that book, but Josh has a copy, and so I kind of flipped through it while I was reading this just to kind of see. And it's really fascinating because what she does is she tells us the story of um, Bulgakov. We are introduced to his friend Ossip Mandelstam, who is an actual poet, and then Bulgakov, who is a playwright. Bulgakov used to be a doctor, and he kind of gave that up shortly after Stalin came to power and decided he wanted to be a playwright. So he moves to Moscow. I think it's Moscow. Pretty sure it is. And joins this writer's club. And then bad things happen. (laughs) (laughs) Plot ensues. (laughs) Plot ensues. Mandelstam is arrested and he is, you know, for writing poetry against the government. And in the fallout of that, Bulgakov comes close to Margarita, who is Mandelstam's mistress. And she just kind of runs in this writing circle and she doesn't write herself, but she kind of is a patron of the arts in that she dates everyone in the writer's club. Oh, that that kind of patron. Yeah, that kind of patron. Mm -hmm. And so... (laughs) 
That's actually really funny. Um, so <laughs> Bulgakov becomes close to her and like his wife had left him at this point and that's a different story and she doesn't really talk about it that much. And then Margarita gets arrested, but not before the Russian detective guy falls in love with oh her. Oh goodness. I know. It's like super complicated. <laughs> it's Russian. They're Russian. <laughs> I know. I know. And it's beautiful and I love it. And I didn't know I had a thing for Russian literature. Kendra, this yeah. podcast has opened my eyes to my <laughs> love for Russian literature. I didn't know even thyself. know. Oh, tell you what. So in true Russian fashion, it, it is a very kind of densely worded book, but it's not a translated book, which I think is fascinating. And Julie Himes really did her research on this book. As I was saying, like, as I flip through the novel and then flip through this book, she gets all of the places right. She seems to get like the feeling of the book right. So it's really cool because it's like this fictional telling of the birth of another book. So it's kind of meta. Wow. And, you know, we do love books about writers, like fictional novels about people writing novels. Well, I think Russian literature is especially intriguing to me. Yeah. Just because of all of the... (laughs) No, duh. Just because of all of the censorship and things that happen. I don't know. It's really cool. And it's, it's good. It's just good. And, like, actually, Julie Himes is a doctor herself, so she's not, wasn't originally uh, an author. So she kind of shares a kinship with Bulgakov. So, yeah, pretty cool. cool. Another level of meta-ness. I just made up that word. That's what we do here. (laughs) We are Shakespeare's. Anyway, so that was Mikhail and Margarita by Julie Himes, and it is published by Europa. And my next pick is... An incredibly crazy book, and that is The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden, and this is out from Harper Voyager. Oh my goodness, guys. So this is set in a futuristic South Africa in the year 2064, and at this time, most people have uh, these robots called Alfies, and they come in a wide range of, like, models and types and things, And uh, but they basically are your personal computer, and they can bring you things, and you give voice commands, and stuff like that. And it's very interesting how, like, we have our phones, and that's what we use, but they have Alfie bots. So anyway, so yeah, so I really loved how this book took the different peoples of uh, South Africa. This is set around Cape Town. And so you have Zulu people, Kosovo people. So yeah, this book has all the different cultures of South Africa, and there's a wide range of characters. And actually, this is a multi-perspective book with like six different viewpoint characters, which at first can be hard to get into, but once you're into it, you can't stop because the book is so weird. Uh, In a good way, weird. Like, this combines both fantasy and science fiction. So you have this futuristic element, but also you have like this old god element. And there's this girl called Sydney, who we quickly learn is like an old like demigoddess. And she is down on her luck, and she has very little power, and she's trying to gain it back. And I love a good villain, and she is amazing. And then there's a little girl who sprouts wings, and then there's a boy who has just fallen in love with his best friend and realized... You know, he's probably gay and loves friend, but then I don't want to, like, okay, the first line in this book is about him having to go through the circumcision ceremony. (sighs) So there's a lot of fun with the fact that he loves a boy and is going through a circumcision ceremony, and he has his grandfather who um, wants him to, like, practice the old ways of, like, their people and their tribe kind of deal. 
So it's really interesting because it starts out on a very human, basic level. And then all of a sudden these people do something fantastic. Like, you don't know the little girl has wings until like the end of her first like viewpoint chapter. And you're like, what on earth is going on? And so slowly it takes, she takes us from reality, like a futuristic science fiction reality, to a more mythological fantasy type plot. So what I'm trying to figure out is... How have I not heard of this book? When did you put this on the list? <laughs> um, I put this on the list uh, several weeks ago. <laughs> I think I was so knee-deep in the fifth season that I just completely <laughs> ignored reality for a week. I mean, this sounds incredible, so I'm like, how have I never heard of this before? I don't know. Like, I wasn't sure about it. I, I first heard it from Amanda Nelson from Book Riot, and she mentioned it as one of her selections for Get Booked, but that was like a month or two ago. And so I, it, but she's like, oh, it comes out a long time from now in June. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll look at it. <laughs> and so Harper Voyager sent me a copy, so thank you very much. And I read it, and I loved it. Yeah, if you want something that's so incredibly off-the-wall crazy in a good way and so interesting and different, then you'll definitely want to pick up The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden. So then my last pick is The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden, and it is out by Delray Books, and it is also Russian! We are so surprised! Did you, did you just not realize that until you wrote all these down on the list? You know, I think I was vaguely aware, but I didn't care. <laughs> you picked this out, like, in December? I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not apologizing for this. Anyway, so, The Bear and the Nightingale is actually set in pre-Russia. She calls it Ruski in the book. And it is, like, somewhere between Russia and the end of the, like, the Mongol Empire, Genghis Khan kind of stuff. So it's, like, in the middle. It's in a transition period, which is fitting. And so we're introduced to this very wealthy family. And they live, like, on the very outskirts, far reaches of the kingdom. And um, it is a man and his wife, and they have four kids. His wife is a noble woman, but she's the daughter of a woman who was married to the king, the prince, married to the prince. And it was rumored that her mother was a witch. And so the mother and I can't like all of these names are really complicated, so I'm not even going to try. So the mother gets pregnant and she decides that she's going to keep the baby because she believes that the baby has magic in her. But she also believes kind of knows that she's going to die in childbirth. So she's kind of like conflicted, but before she dies, like she has the name, like the, I guess it's the nanny, right? Yeah. She's like the head housekeeper person. The nurse. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like their living nurse slash housekeeper tells the story of the frost King that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the book. The daughter is born and her name is Vasilisa and she's scrawny and like, and the mother dies. And so there's, now this man with five kids and he's on the furthest reaches of Russia and he has to somehow raise all these children. And so as Vasilisa gets older, she starts to develop this second sense almost where she starts seeing all these little house spirits and she starts talking to them. So about the time that she's 10 or 11, um, the priest in the town dies and a new priest comes in and 
he starts telling the people that they that they need to stop leaving gifts for the house spirits. Then everything like starts to go very poorly. And this is our discussion book, so I'm going to stop there. But it is people have been talking about this book for so long. It came out in the UK last year, but it didn't come out in the US until this year. And it totally, totally lived up to its expectation. Yes. And you'll know, like, if you listen to the podcast, you know, there was the big, like, cover thing. And so that we both got UK covers. And we've been talking about this book since our most anticipated show, basically. It's so good. It's very good. Like, it kind of is in the same vein as the snow child almost. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, so if you liked the snow child, then you would really like this book. And I, I loved how it feels like a fairy tale, but since we don't get a lot of Russian fairy tales for whatever reason, it was like fresh and new. And I, yes. I'm always here for like a good like Ice King, Jack Frost story. And Catherine says in the postscript or the post at the end, she kind of explains her research process and explains a little bit about why she did some of the things she did in the book. So you can definitely tell that she knows her stuff and she put a lot of work into this to make sure it was accurate. So definitely lived up to the hype. I'm always extremely happy when a book lives up to the hype. So I'm going to just stop there. So that is The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden, and it is out by Delray. And that's it. So now it's time to talk about what we're reading now, which, you know, we're always reading something. Everything. (laughs) Everything. Yeah. I guess I'm reading Himself by Jess Kidd, and this is out from H. Rear Books. And this book is like M. Night Shyamalan made a movie set in 1970s Ireland. Depending on which M. Night Shyamalan movie you're talking about, we should clarify. Early, early M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> but yeah, and then Agatha Christie came on and like threw some spice on it, and there we go. <laughs> I know, right? This is like if Autumn and I wrote a book together with an <laughs> Irish person. It would be this book. Like, it is amazing. Okay, so so this is about a guy who's dropped off at an orphanage in the 60s, in the like 50s, 60s, and he uh, grows up, becomes an adult, and when he's 26, he, uh, the guy from the orphanage, like the priest or whatever, comes up and gives him a note that says where he's from and who his mom is. And so he travels to that tiny village in the middle of nowhere, Ireland, and he tries to figure out who his mom is and why she abandoned them and also who his father is and why did the entire tiny town hate him? And then there's like the M. Night Shyamalan aspect, which I'm not going to spoil for you because, yeah, you shouldn't be spoiled. It's not even on the like flat material, which is great. Like, good job, publicist, whoever decided that. If I didn't have to stop reading to finish books for this podcast, I just would just keep reading. No, I wouldn't shower. I wouldn't eat. I would just, it's so, so good. Oh, my goodness. I know. I know. Oh, okay. So you need to bring me this book. Okay. When you bring your haul. Okay, I will. I plan on finishing it this okay. weekend. Okay, thanks. <laughs> okay, so then what I'm reading right now is, or I'm about to start reading, I guess I should say, is Standard Deviation by Katherine Haney, and it is out by Knopf. You know, I'd never heard of this book, and then we got it, and then now everyone seems to be talking about it. So it is the story of Graham Cavanaugh, and he gets remarried, 
it seems like like his second wife is like totally different from his first wife. But so it seems like like one of the a book like that that talks about relationships and you know that kind of thing. But the thing that makes this book interesting is the fact that one of Graham's children has Asperger's, and so part of this book deals with them trying to figure out kind of how how he navigates not only his first wife but his second wife and this kid with Asperger's and apparently origami plays a big role in it and the cover is adorable apparently we're obsessed with covers but that's okay and aren't the couple's friends like he's trying to be friends with his ex-wife yeah I think they're and her new husband or something new partner yeah because they have like joint custody it seems like a fun summer read and I've seen it on all the lists like everywhere yeah and I read a book um you read a book autumn no I wasn't done with my thoughts (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not a nice person continue i read a book a couple summers ago called language arts and it was a story about a family whose son had autism and so and kind of like how they how they dealt with that diagnosis and raising a kid with autism so i'll be interested to see what this book's take is on it because i really enjoyed language arts and i thought it was very well done and i i know a lot of people who have children who have either asperger's or autism so it's kind of helpful to see those stories on the page so anyway i'm excited to to get into it and i think that's it so also don't forget we do have a newsletter we don't mention it often on the podcast but we have new books and book reviews and photos of our fur children and author interviews and so many different things i just this is one of my favorite parts of reading women is doing this newsletter it is just so much fun so you can go to reading women's her baby (laughs) yeah it definitely is. So you could go to readingwomenpodcast.com slash newsletter uh, to sign up, and it goes out every Friday at 5 p.m. That's our show. Join us next time for our discussion about the fifth season and the bear and the nightingale, and that'll be out in about two weeks. You can find it'll show up in your podcatcher, which is cool if you're subscribed. And in the meantime, you can find me, Autumn Privet, on Twitter at Autumn Privet, and I'm also on Instagram and Litzy. And you can find Kendra at KD Winchester. And be sure to check out our Patreon page. And thank you so much to, for everyone who has contributed and supported us. We have a lot of cool things coming your way, and we're really excited to get that going. And thank you also for all the new reviews that we've gotten in iTunes and on Stitcher. We are so thrilled to have those, and it really does help other people, other book lovers, find our podcast. So thank you all so much for listening to the Reading Women podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Bye, guys.